Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. About that time, disciples came to Jesus. Disciples asked Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Bless that little child's heart. Good, Lord, have to stand in the midst of all these, all these big gruff men. And Jesus said, i tell you the truth, disciples. Unless you turn from your sins, disciples, and become like little children, you'll never even get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said in, in, in verse 4, So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, would you just add your blessing, uh, your anointing and illumination on your word today, and and I pray that you give us the the humility to receive it and the courage to put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We are continuing our series called Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. Um, Jesus, in this passage, wanted to make it really clear to the disciples that his kingdom was nothing like any of the other kingdoms they had ever encountered on the earth. It was not, his kingdom was not about pride and position. The kingdom of heaven is about humility and service. And and Jesus was making a clear distinction in their minds. And I want to pick up on that distinction, maybe maybe highlight that a little bit today. And and I want to show you what Jesus was talking about. We've been doing this, this is, I don't know, message number five, I think, in this series. And I really want to come at it from a different direction this week. I want to show you two two, uh, passages of scripture from the Gospel of John. Uh, One in chapter eight, one in chapter 10. And I think they'll be familiar to you. In John eight, verse 44, it says this, for you are the children of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. He is a liar and the father of lies. And then John chapter 10, Jesus continues, the thief's purpose, he's talking about Satan, is to steal and to kill and destroy. And then Jesus by, by contrast, says my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, the scriptures that, that we just read are the words of Jesus about our enemy, the devil. And he said, Satan is a liar and a thief and a murderer. Jesus said the only goal of Satan is to steal and kill and destroy. And then by contrast, Jesus gave up his life that was at the right hand of the Father in order to come and to give us a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God while Satan works to destroy our relationship with God. Do you see the difference? There is a clear distinction between those two kingdoms. They are not the same. And the disciples had never seen anything like the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's the root cause of the difference? What's the real difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven? Well, it always comes down to the king. If you're looking for a difference in the kingdom, it always comes down to the king. 
Here's what, here's what the word says about King Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Paul said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to, something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That's King Jesus. Here's what it says about King Satan in Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17. The Lord says, I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. What did he do that was so bad? Verse 17 tells us, your heart was filled with pride. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Jesus was God. But he chose to operate in humility. Lucifer was created by God and for God, but he operated in pride. See, pride is what caused Lucifer to become a liar, but the humble Jesus is the truth. Pride is what caused Lucifer to become a murderer, but the humble Jesus allowed himself to be murdered. Lucifer is death. Jesus is the life. Pride is what caused Lucifer to become a thief, but God so loved the world that he gave the most valuable thing that he had in the universe, his only son. Lucifer only takes, and Jesus only gives. Now, here's why that matters. Here's why the distinction matters, and we're going to go back to John 8 and 44, and I want to emphasize the first, uh, the first sentence of what Jesus said. For you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. Jesus was talking, listen, Jesus was talking to a crowd of people who were starting to believe in him. Read the whole, read the whole scripture. Read the whole context. He, these were people who were considering becoming a follower of Jesus. But they were still full of pride about their Jewish heritage. They were still full of pride. He said, you're just like your father, the devil. Jesus was not really good at this growing the church thing. He just just spoke too much truth. He just called it out. He said, "You're you're full of pride just like your father, the devil. He was communicating a spiritual truth to them that we also need to understand. There there are only two sides, y'all. There's only two kingdoms. Everybody is naturally born into the kingdom of darkness because of the original sin of Adam and Eve. But Jesus came to offer us a way out of that kingdom and back into a relationship with the Father, back into the kingdom of light because He came and died for our sins. Those who refuse to humble themselves and repent. Those who refuse to humble themselves and admit they're sinners and their only hope is Jesus are choosing to continue to serve and be like their father, the devil. Those who follow Jesus 
the path of following Jesus leads us to be conformed to his image so that we begin to look like him, that we begin to be conformed to the image of God that we were created to bear in the first place. Does that make sense? Let me say it this way. Pride is Lucifer's legacy. Pride is Lucifer's legacy. Humility is the inheritance of a king's kid. Pride is Lucifer's legacy. Humility is the inheritance of a king's kid. Now, I remember a, a story that I was told. I, I've, I've told it before. It's been a little while, but I think this is, this is a perfect application. So um, these two parents were awakened one night to what is a familiar sound to all of us parents. They hear a thud, <laughs> then they hear a cry. And so... The parents, loving parents that they are, got up and they walk in there and there's little Susie uh, kind of pulling herself up off the floor and trying to get back in the bed. And she's still crying. She's hurt. Mostly her pride is hurt. But she gets back up in the bed and they set her up and they say, little Susie, what in the world happened? Like, were you having a bad dream and you just kind of flopped yourself in the floor? Like, what's the deal? And Susie said, no, I think I was just too close to where I got in. It's just too close to where I got in. Here's, here's some tough questions, but, but I think uh, they have to be asked of all of us little Johnnies and little Susies. How close are you to where you got in? Like how, how much progress are you making towards becoming like him? Let me be a little more pointed. What family do we resemble the most? Do we look more like our old father? Or do we look like our new one? Do we look more like the father of lies or the father of light? See, pride connects us to the kingdom of darkness and to the king of that kingdom. Humility connects us to the kingdom of heaven and its king, Jesus. So if we look at ourselves in the mirror of the word this morning, who do we look more like? See, this week I, I, I prayed to, and asked God, is, like, is this... Is this pride series over? Like, did we did we, we did four? Is that enough? Are we done? And, and because people ask me, how many weeks we have it? I don't know. I never know. I used to think I knew. I don't know how long the series is going to last. We're just going to go until God says it's enough. I thought maybe He was saying it was enough, so I asked Him, and He led me back to the very beginning of the pride problem in the first place, which is what we're reading in the life of Lucifer. And he led us there because I think he's wanting us to see all of the many ways that pride shows up in our lives. Because I hear people say, oh, I'm not, I'm not arrogant at all. I don't think I'm better than anybody. That's, not, that's just one narrow strand of pride. There are a th there's a thousand ways that pride shows itself in your life. And so we need, to, we need to go back and see some of the ways that pride expresses itself in our lives. Why? So that we can get it out. And look more like our father. So what did pride do in the life of Lucifer? And that's what we're going to try to figure out. Um, I do want to say this. We read a passage in Ezekiel. We're going to read a passage in uh, Isaiah 14. Not everybody universally agrees that these two passages are about uh, Lucifer, about Satan. Some, some people believe that they are only about the, the, the literal kings that they were written about. Um, but... I think, and many people who are way smarter than me think, there's just too much in the passages that could not be fulfilled by a human king. 
It has to be talking about the power behind that throne, the power behind that earthly king who is Satan. And so, uh, that, so I just want you to know as we move in that that's, that that's the assumption that we're operating from. It's a, it's a double reference is what it's called in, in studying the Bible. It's a double reference. Um, so God is smart enough that he can talk about two things at one time. So like in Matthew 24 and 25, it's a double reference about an event. It's about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., but it's also about the second coming of Christ. It's a double it's a double reference, okay? So I just wanted you to know, not everybody's going to look at these passages and see Lucifer, but this is, that's where we're coming from, and I think you'll understand why. Isaiah 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven. And set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. And then let's go back to Ezekiel 28, verses 12 through 14. Son of man, this funeral song for the king of Tyre. And and we're understanding it to mean the spiritual power behind that king. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. You were the model of perfection. Full of wisdom, exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. And then it lists all the stones that were, that were in his clothes. All beautifully created, excuse me, crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. Now, these are the two biggest passages about uh, the characteristics of Satan, uh, of Lucifer before he became Satan and that process of becoming. So we, what we want to do is look at Lucifer's legacy and find out what it was that, uh, that pride did in his life. And so today I want us to talk about that pride leads you to self-promotion. Self-promotion. All right? Lucifer was a created being just like us. And just like us, everything he had came from God. You do realize that everything we have comes from God. Right? Every good thing, every good gift. This is James chapter 1. Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Everything we have comes from God. Now look at what God did for Lucifer. He was beautiful. He was strong. He was talented. He was wise. He was well-dressed. He was anointed. He was appointed. He was ordained. He had an intimate relationship with God. He had access to the throne. He was a protector of something that was precious in the eyes of God. By implication, you can, you can assume that he had influence, he had power, he had authority. All of those things are, were gifts from God. They were gifts from God. God did not have to give him what he did. He could have made him strong without making him beautiful. He could have made him efficient in whatever task it was he was created to do without making him wise. 
He could have clothed him without making him adorned in splendor the way he was. Those were just gifts of extravagance from the Father. They were just gifts of grace, just expressions of love from the Creator for the creation. God was better to Lucifer than he had to be. So what happened? What happened? And look at God has been better to us than we deserved, hadn't he? He's been better to us. So why are we not always faithful to God? Why do we turn our backs on the Lord the way Lucifer did? What happened in the life of Lucifer? It was his inner dialogue. That's where it started. It was his inner dialogue. It's the way he talked to himself about himself. The Bible says, he said to himself, this is Isaiah uh, chapter 12, uh, 14. He said to himself, I'm going to ascend. I'm going to establish my throne. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to rule and reign. He, He started to notice how beautiful he was. He started to notice how powerful he was. He started to notice the influence he has. He started to notice his effect on the people around him, and he forgot who it came from and what it was given to him for. And he convinced himself that he was superior. He convinced himself he was special, even that he was divine. The creation who was somehow equal to or maybe even a rival of the creator. And the Bible says, you say, well, John, he's he's just trying to figure out who he is. The Bible calls it what it was. It was pride. He said, you got full of pride. He got proud of gifts he didn't even earn. And he created this narrative in his, own, in his mind of his own greatness. And then, because that's the way it works, you start acting out what you, in your life what you believe in your mind. So he started to take actions to bring that narrative into his reality. You say, John, that's you know, marginally interesting on a theological level. What does that have to do with any of us? How many people do you know who have shipwrecked themselves because they got proud over a gift that God gave them for His honor and for His glory and for His service and they turned it in upon themselves? You see, if there's ever been a generation where that's happening, it's happening now, it's happening faster and with more people than ever before. Because we have platforms now where, that will allow you to promote yourself like never before. We have tools in our hands for self-promotion that boggle the mind. You can have a little bit of talent, and I mean a very little bit of talent, and, and, uh, and a whole lot of self-promotion, and you can create an empire around yourself in a matter of months that 30 years ago it would have taken decades to build. And you'll be the center of your little universe, and the sky will be the limit for you. And that's everywhere. They call them influencers, celebrities, all, all kinds of... So what's the inner dialogue of a person like that? Inside, they're saying to themselves, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm special. There's something different about me. 
I'm going to climb this ladder of success. I'm going to go start my own company. I'm going to build my brand. I'm going to launch my label. I'm going to have my own channel. I'm going to rule the world. That sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? That's almost verbatim what Lucifer said to himself about himself. And all the while, people are using the gifts and the blessings of God, even the anointings and appointings and ordination of God to promote themselves. No submission to God about the timing of whatever they're going to do. No questioning Him about the direction or about the focus of their lives. Just as soon as they saw a gap, man, just as soon as they saw an opportunity, they shot through that thing like a tailback on Saturday afternoon. They're going to go make it happen. And just like Lucifer, it's rooted in pride. It's, it's the legacy of Lucifer. And it looks nothing like our father. Self-promotion is not an act of humility and is not becoming for a king's kid. You see, how, how, I don't know if you pay attention to what's going on in the culture around us, but how many times a week do you hear people appealing to you to have an inner dialogue about your greatness? Do you all not see the commercials? Do you not see the books? Do you not see the magazines? Do you, do you not hear? Pay attention to what's going on around you in your culture. You, they'll tell you all the time, there's greatness inside of you. People say all the time, you're destined for great things. They tell you, preachers will even use the pulpit to tell you, God will make your dreams come true. Just get God on your team. Just get God on your side. You were made for this. Go take what's yours. God will make it happen for you. But for children of God, we can't accept that without, without running it through the filter of Scripture first. And as a child of God, we know that the only thing great in us is He who is in us. We know as children of God that it's God who creates and controls our destinies for His honor and for His glory. We know that our dreams have to be laid on the altar of sacrifice so that his kingdom can come and his will be done above all things. Listen, stop listening to people who are trying to change your inner dialogue in ways that don't line up with this word right here. Don't let people encourage self-promotion. Why? Because it's a fast lane to destruction. Why? And it can't, it can't be... It can't be named among children of God. Why? Because we have a purpose in our lives, and that is to bring honor and glory to God. And you can't promote yourself and promote Jesus at the same time. Besides that, the dirty little secret of self-promotion is that what you build, you have to maintain. You put yourself there you got to keep yourself there. Look at Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the, workers of the, the work of the builders is wasted. King James says they, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with centuries won't do you any good. Look at verse 2. It's useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night. 
anxiously working for food to eat or for, or for money in your bank account. For God gives rest to his loved ones. When God puts you there, you rest in what God's given you. You didn't work to get it. You don't have to work to keep it. Right? I'm not saying, I'm not saying anything about hard work. I'm saying in the position that God placed you in, he places you there, he's going to keep you there. You can lay down your head at night and you can rest. You don't have to be up all night anxious about trying to keep yourself in a place where you put yourself. If you build it in your own power, you have to maintain it in your own power. But what God builds, God maintains. What God builds, if he builds it by his power, then the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Nothing can stop it. But if we exalt ourselves... It's going to come crashing down. It's just a matter of time. And if it doesn't happen in this life, I promise you, in the next, when you stand before God, you'll watch everything you built in pride, everything you promoted your way to will crumble and fall away, and you'll be left with nothing. God told Lucifer in those verses, you say, I'm going to rise up, but I'm telling you, you're going to be brought low. Pride precedes the fall. Where you find pride, just wait on it, the crash is coming. It may be the most common theme of Proverbs and many of the Psalms as well. Pride doesn't pay, but humility gets rewarded. Pride doesn't pay, humility gets rewarded. Here's what Jesus said about self-promotion. He took some time in, in the Gospel of Luke, it records it. Jesus noticed, so you just can't take Jesus anywhere. Jesus, he speaks truth everywhere he goes. He got invited to a dinner. Jesus noticed that all who came to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table. Y'all watch people do that? It's funny, y'all, to watch people like jockey for position. And, and Jesus gave them this advice. I would, I would venture to add probably unsolicited advice. But Jesus said, when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if somebody who's more distinguished than you has also been invited. The host will have to come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then you'll be embarrassed and you have to go take whatever seat's left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. And then when your host sees you, he'll come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. And then you'll be honored in front of all the guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. And then he turned, because he wasn't done, he turned to his host. He said, listen, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors. I ain't got no rich neighbors, y'all, but I'd like to have some. Um, he says, because they'll invite you back, and then that'll be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. And then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who couldn't repay you. He's talking about self-promotion, right? I'm going to invite you to my house so that you'll invite me to your house and you got something I want or you've got a place or a position or recognition that I want, so I'm going to start this game, Jesus said. That's, that's ridiculous. You say, John, listen, that doesn't make any sense. You, you just clearly, you don't know how the world works. Well, listen, don't forget, as believers, we're not part of the kingdom of darkness anymore. We're not part of the kingdom of this world anymore. We're part of the kingdom of heaven, and our king does what he wants. His, his rules, his ways, 
His thoughts are higher and deeper and different than everybody else's. And he says getting low is the way to get exalted. The only way to be exalted in the kingdom of God is for God to exalt you. You say, okay, fine. I'll start doing humble things so God will promote me. No, that's not how that works. The only way God promotes you is if you are truly humble. You can't scam the system. You can't fake humility because real humility can't be faked. And you can't fool God anyway. You may not have thought about it like this, but pride isn't just an action. It's also a motive. Pride is not just what you do. It's the reason you do what you do. You see, you can do things that appear to be humble, but are in fact motivated by pride. That's the confusing part of all this. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity, or in these days, posting it on social media. Yes, I did say that. Back, back up verse 2, please. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward that they'll ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. You can even carry out the acts of Christianity in a way that's self-promoting, in a way that's rooted in pride. Jesus said, if you want everybody to see your good works, that's cool, but don't expect there to be any spiritual reward from it. And he said the same thing in the next few verses about fasting and about praying. Pride isn't just an action, it's also a motive. One of our core values at Covenant Life is the why is as important as the what. Remember the difference between religion and relationship is humility. It's humility. You say, John, so... Listen, I don't get it. So I just never try to do anything, right? I'm just, I just be happy in what I'm doing right now. Do I never try to better myself? Do I never try to increase my influence? Do, I, I know I'm called to do this thing. Do I just sit and wait or do I go for it? And that is a legitimate question. It's a good question. And I want to take the rest of our time just to, to try to analyze that for a second, okay? Just two quick stories. One personal and, and one from the Word. Many of you know this, but I was, a, I was a member of pastoral staff for 20 years before I became the pastor of this church. I served three other pastors and tried to see their vision, their, their mission carried out. Uh, when our former pastor left, I really believed that God had opened this door and that it, was, that it was my time. But I had to present myself to the overseer and to the church as a candidate. There will come a time that you will have to step up or speak out, okay? I'm not saying that you're just silent forever. There will come a time that you have to fill out that application. You will have to uh, present yourself as a candidate. You will have to go and get that training, get that education, get that certification that will open the door for whatever's next in your life. That in and of itself is not an act of pride. 
what you have to do is check the motive behind it. Why are you doing what you're doing? Ask the Holy Spirit to check you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is going to teach what, what Jesus came to, to show us, right? So Jesus is the Word of God. So the Holy Spirit is, is in, 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 the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And the sword of the Spirit is sharper than any two-edged sword. He's gonna, he's gonna, he can divide, with the sword of the Spirit can divide bone and marrow. He can tell you whether your actions are motivated by pride or by humility. So if you ask him, he will tell you, and if it hurts your feelings, he'll try to help you get over that too. All right? But he'll tell you. Is it an act of obedience or is it self-promotion? Are you doing it with the blessing of God or did you not even check with him? Is it a door that God opened for you? Or did you just go check enough windows until you found a way inside? It's both action and motive. And for it to be an act of humility, it has to be both. Now, here's a second story. In the book of 1 Samuel, it recounts the rise of King, of King David and the fall of King Saul. And it's a really fascinating book if you haven't read it. Saul falls into sin. Why? Because of pride. It leads him into rebellion. And God rips the kingdom of Israel from him and sends the prophet Samuel to anoint David as the next king of Israel. Saul began to be violent. He just began to hate David and be violently paranoid to the point that he tried to murder David multiple times. See, it only takes like, oh, what, three times of somebody trying to kill David before David goes, huh, I think he's trying to kill me. Um, I should get out of here. So he did. Like any reasonable person, he ran for his life. And Saul chased David and his men for 13 years, chased them up and down mountains and into every nook and cranny. David and his men had to hide in caves, in strongholds. They even had to go to the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, to try to get a little bit of peace and relief from King Saul chasing him. Now, twice, David got the jump on Saul. Twice, had him literally within arm's reach. He could have killed Saul, and the whole deal would have been over. Saul would have never seen it coming, wouldn't have known who did it, couldn't have protected himself, and nobody else could have either. David's men who were with him encouraged him to go through it. One of his right-hand men literally whispered in his ear in that moment as they're standing over Saul, God has done this. God has placed him in your hands. And listen, with the eyes of the flesh, it looks like that's exactly what happened. But David, both times David said, nope. This is God's anointed king for this moment. If he wants another king, he'll have to put another king in place because I'm not touching what God has anointed. I'm never, God will have to remove him before I become the king because I'm never going to do it myself. Now, please hear me this morning. I really believe that this is a prophetic word for someone, and you know I don't say that often, and I don't say it lightly. So I want you to hear me. Don't let people speak into your pride and cause you to attempt to bring about God's will on your own. You are going to hurt so many people, and you're going to cause such a mess if you do that. 
Listen, this is not about pastoral paranoia. I don't sense that this is about the church at all. It's not, so, so don't disregard my, my, what I'm saying here because I think it's self-protection. It's not. I really sense that this is in somebody's, either in somebody's family or in somebody's business or employment position. So please, please hear what I'm saying. All the signs might point to you. Everybody might be telling you it's your time. It might be clear that you'd be better at it than that person who's in front of you. It might be clear that the other person is just not getting it done. It might even appear that it's a God thing. But listen, do not move without the blessing and the peace of God. Check your motive. Don't make any big decision in your life without checking your motive. Are you humble and submitted, and that's why you're doing this? Or are you proud and motivated, and you're going to go grab it? Don't be an Absalom. And if you don't know who that is, read about him as a son of David. Don't be an Absalom. Don't exploit the weaknesses of the person in the position that you think you're destined for. Why? Because you're not perfect either. You might not have those weaknesses, but you've got weaknesses. And listen, wait on the Lord to make a way. Because if you sow seeds of rebellion and criticism, you'll have to live with a harvest of those seeds when it's your turn. You will get treated the way you treated those who came before you. That's just the way it works. You reap what you sow. The word says if you sow to the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. Be humble about your gifts. Be humble about your influence. They are from the Lord for His purposes, for His glory, and in His time. Wait on Him. There were many times while serving other pastors that people would either imply or just flat out tell me they would rather follow me, they'd rather hear me preach, they'd rather I be the pastor. And I had to resist those things. I had to not take them as a compliment and see them as a poison. I had to put distance between me and those people and those comments. Those comments might have come from a good place in the heart of that person, but they were going to get planted in a very bad place in my life if I'd let them in. Self-promotion leads to subversion, to rebellion, to criticism, to undermining authority, and every bit of that is right out of Lucifer's playbook. That's the biography of his life. That's not kingdom stuff. That's not how kingdom people operate. Don't fall for it. Here's here's the, the scary part of this. If you're determined to promote yourself, you can. God is not going to send a lightning bolt from heaven and just fry you before you do something dumb. If you want to do it, God's not going to stop you. Check your heart. Check your motive. If it's pure and humble, if the goal is to exalt the name of Jesus and to fulfill His call and purposes in your life, then go for it enthusiastically. But if it's self-centered, or maybe more importantly, if you don't know, repent for your pride and wait 
on the Lord. We can't allow self-promotion in our lives. You say, John, I really need a raise. John, I really need a promotion. I gotta, I've got to tell the boss how good I am at what I do. I've got to shine the light on my achievements. I've got to help them see my capabilities. How do I advance myself if I don't do this? Here's some wisdom for you from the Word. Do your job. You're like, that's all you got, Pastor? That's all I got. Do your stinking job. Do it really really well do it really well every day do it really well every day with a good and submissive attitude and then they'll notice you and will promote you or if God releases you to apply for a promotion or to the next job or the next level or go up a rung your work will speak for itself and help prepare the way Besides the fact that Colossians teaches us that as believers, we work for God anyway and not for man. Right? Humility speaks just as loudly as pride. When you promote yourself through politics or through subversion or any other man-made means, then you are obligated to keep yourself there by the same means. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You take the position by manipulation, by backstabbing, then you're going to live every moment of your days in that position, looking over your shoulder and checking over your back. When you allow God to promote you, He'll keep you there as long as He wants you there. No matter what the politics of the day may suggest. You say, John, are you sure? Oh, I'm sure. Look at Daniel. Daniel served multiple kings from over multiple kingdoms for decades. Why? Because God placed him there. And he was going to keep him there in that position of influence until he was finished with it. It didn't matter that the kingdom got overthrown two or three times while he was there. It didn't matter. God put him there. God kept him there. Listen, there's two kingdoms, right? Light and dark. Two kings. Two fathers. One is our Heavenly Father. One isn't. Look in the mirror of the Word today. Who do you resemble the most? Don't fall for self-promotion. Don't fall for any of the other things that we're going to talk about that Satan did. King's kids operate in humility. Don't perpetuate Lucifer's legacy in your life. Let's repent of the pride humble ourselves today in everything that we do. And when we do that, every day we pick up the Word and we'll start looking more and more and more like our Father. Y'all stand with me, please. This altar is open. I want you to, I want you to come and pray if, if the Lord's leading you here. It's not just about uh, this message. You can pray about whatever's going on in your life. You've got a relationship issue, you've got a financial issue, you've got a, you've got a job situation, whatever it is. Nobody's going to make any assumptions about why you're coming to the altar. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks anyway. If God's calling you here, here's what I know, He'll meet you here. 
So they're going to sing a song after we pray. Y'all come on and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your spirit who enables us to live a life of humility. It's only through your grace. It's only through your power, through your spirit that we can do this. But God, I pray that more and more we surrender ourselves to your spirit and to, and to your uh, humility in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.